Yes, hi, hello, it's me, Hey Good. Welcome back to Infinite Quest. Today on the podcast, we have composer, sociology, and evolution enthusiast Astrid Lundberg, better known on TikTok as Odd Pride. I wanted to talk to Astrid because she seems to be the most curious person I have ever met. Her enthusiasm and passion for learning and knowing things is palpable and contagious. And she's always good for, as she calls it, hot, fresh knowledge for your brain. In our conversation, we talk about the nature of good and evil, is there such a thing as intelligence, and a weird amount about the migratory patterns of certain dinosaurs. You can find links to all of her socials at oddpride.com. I really enjoyed talking with her today, and I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Enjoy! Astrid, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really exciting to be here. I'm exciting. That's it's weird to think that I'm capable of doing something that like another person would be excited to be a part of. That's very flattering. Thank you very much. <laughs> we, we were just talking before we started recording about how I've never been on a podcast before and also how I would like to make a podcast of my own. So Yes. Yeah, this feels like an exciting life milestone for me for sure. And also, <laughs> I don't mean to sell short the fact that I'm excited to talk to you for for your own merits. But also, I'm excited to be on a podcast. <laughs> well, thank you. I was going to say, just because your your content is is such that there's just no way the people that watch your videos aren't just begging you at all times to start a podcast. <laughs> thank well, you. You're I also... appreciate the vote of confidence. Oh, of course. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Um, I, I, I There's a question, that a particular question that I never really know how to ask. But when when you're a person, when one is a person who's interested in very many things... When you get into the a role of like content creation, there's so much pressure to like niche down and only talk about a certain thing. But there are a lot of really interesting things in the world. So like, do you ever find it hard to to figure out what you want to talk about, or do you just think of things that you find interesting, and by nature of them being interesting, they just become part of your content? I think my followers have accepted by now that my content is just going to be eclectic, and um, you know, you may follow for a history video or a mythology video or a folk music video, but then I'm going to talk about dinosaurs a whole bunch. And um, that's not really something I struggle with in the planning stage, but I, I have achieved that by just not doing the planning stage. I just sort of leap out of the gate and talk about what I want to talk about, <laughs> and I don't really have my wits about me to think about, you know... What is this doing for my brand? Is this consistent with what people asked for last time? And that's not necessarily, um, that's not a statement of like my maturity or self-confidence so much as my uh, chaos. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I, I think uh, when, when a person is a chaotic person, the, the chaos becomes the brand, you know. <laughs> Should we also provide some context for who I am, what I do? Oh, I uh, yeah, sure. I suppose I, I'm going to do a cool like little intro thing or something like that. Oh, but... sick. Okay, no worries. Then. Yeah. How would you describe what you do, though? I'm curious. Um, I I I'm kind of honing what I say to people who are like older or very offline, like my parents' friends, um, or just people I don't know well. When they ask me what I do for my job, I say I make educational videos online or edu like educational entertainment online. And then when they press, I say I have a TikTok page and I share fun facts. And my mission 
is to encourage people to be passionate about learning, to sort of remember that learning is fun for its own sake. It doesn't have to be for a job or a grade. I, I know a lot of people have been very traumatized by education, and um, I think that's really sad because learning is fun, and education, formal education shouldn't get in the way of the joy of learning. So, um, yeah, that's my mission, and that's what I'm doing to achieve it. Do you feel that you have any educational trauma that may have caused you to respond in the way that you are? Honestly, um, yeah. This is good material for an ADHD podcast, actually, if you want to hear the story. Well, I'd love to if you're willing to share it. Yeah. So um, it's, let's see. So I had an absolutely world-class education. I had a wonderful, wonderful education. And I'm very privileged to have had that education. The reason why I was private schooled in as many excellent schools as I was is originally because I was kicked out of public school, which is hmm. not something that's supposed to be possible. It's supposed to be a public service for all children to enjoy equally. Um, but when I was six, I went to a school that was, and the problem was actually wasn't this school was like underfunded and nobody cared. It was almost the opposite problem that like there were a little bit too, there was a little bit too much pressure on this school to like perform and achieve and turn out these perfect high testing students. And they did this thing, and I was not the only child this happened to at this particular elementary school, where they would find, like, single out children who they thought weren't going to test well and kind of bully the family out of the school. So this went on for a few months, and they, like, they try, they claimed to try a few different things to make my education possible for me. This was when some of my, like, neurodivergencies began to manifest in earnest in a way that adults started to notice. Like I was a very precocious reader, but I had a really hard time with numbers. I couldn't really count. Um, and the school administration and the teachers that I had kind of looked at that and they were like, well, this kid doesn't belong in this system. How do we get rid of her? And I know that sounds very like conspiracy theory, ish but this i mean this went on for a period of months and my my parents really like noticed and documented uh, a lot of the stuff that went on so these teachers were just progressively meaner and meaner and meaner to me and then uh, uh oh they also didn't allow my parents to come in for parent teacher conferences they like there was always a scheduling thing so they like they couldn't talk to the school at all they just knew that I was getting sadder and sadder and sadder. And then eventually they called in my parents for a very hush-hush, very closed-door meeting. They had brought a lawyer, and the lawyer had papers. And the school principal was like, we want you to sign these papers that say you agree to homeschool your daughter. Because there's no place for her in the public school system, and we want you to remove her from this school. And so they did. My mother's actually a teacher, so... Um, she wasn't teaching professionally at the time, but she had teacher training. So I was homeschooled for a few months. And then my um, my grandfather actually found a progressive ed, like special needs, inclusive private elementary school. And he and my other grandparents and my parents got together and they managed to pay for me to go to this school. So um it all worked out in the end because I got a really good education out of it, but there's definitely like 
significant trauma there. And yeah, that's kind of, that's the origin story of my education and my relationship to learning. Very Holy weird shit. Story. That is fucking awful. I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, wow. it's super not legal to do any of that, but like. Wow. And what grade were you when you finally left public school? Um, so I was technically in second grade. I was first grade age. They had moved me up to second grade. So, huh. yeah, that's kind I, was of ir- six. I was six years old. Wow. That's ironic that you skipped a grade and then were kicked out because they were worried that you wouldn't test well. And I mean, I, I don't know if that's if, if, if irony is the correct term, but Jesus. My gosh, I'm so sorry that happened. I mean, just on a personal level, that sounds like a really traumatizing thing to have happen. Thank you. I, I appreciate the sentiment. But um, yeah, so How... after that, I was able to go to this. And I was, you know, a very, very sad, very traumatized little, you know, kicked puppy of a child. And I got to go to this amazing, like, progressive education. I don't know if you've, like, ever heard of the progressive education model my mother being a teacher and me being a childcare worker as well, I'm like very into sort of teaching styles and teaching philosophy. Um, but it was very like children are naturally inclined to learn and the role of a teacher is not to force a child to learn, but to refrain from preventing a child from learning because they're just mm. going to do that anyway. And yeah, they just like let me run around in the woods and draw pictures, but while doing that also taught me how to you know read and write and well i could already read and write but you know got me through my early education and then by that point i was like a private school kid and um i actually got a (laughs) i got a scholarship to a really good private high school in the area as well after like that wonderful wonderful foundation from that school i had gone to through elementary and middle school and um yeah that's why i have such a good education so you win some you lose some yeah so what um when you said you got a scholarship was that for college or was a a a scholarship for a a high school a private high school it was to a private high school um oh right i think you just said that and i skipped over it (laughs) was it a specialized high school or was it uh sort of prep school i don't know what the terms are but it was um so it's kind of a famous school it's called sidwell friends school it's in Washington, D.C. It's actually where the Obama girls went. Oh, cool. Which is why, I'm sorry, I feel guilty now. I feel like I'm, like, bragging about my amazing privilege education <laughs> now. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's also, um, it was the same partial scholarship that Bill Nye attended the same school on cool. 40 years previously or something like that. So that's that's a fun thing to, like, think about now that I'm also a science educator. Yeah, a I guess a little coincidence. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, a lot of apologizing for for uh, claim for for just stating objective facts occurs on this show. <laughs> so it's okay. My 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 thought is basically that what helped is apologizing for it. Do you know? Yeah, um, fair enough. And I mean, now I get to like, now I get to use those tools that I learned about about the value of good learning and teaching to help other people appreciate learning and teaching so i'm doing my best to to share the wealth well i think you're doing great i mean i i i don't know at what age it tends to happen that we think of learning as being not fun as being something that you're forced to do and that you have to do but it definitely just occurs at some point i mean not naturally but it definitely i think everybody at some point in their life 
um, if you were to watch them from birth through, you know, the ages of five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, at some point there's some sort of shift where suddenly we don't want to know the things anymore. Or not necessarily that we don't want to know the things, but we have as enough resentment for the people teaching it to us that we don't want to do what they say, whatever it is. And I definitely feel like I, ins- ins- I, I fell into that little, I guess, into that gap for a while. I think I was sort of bitter about learning because learning was always something that I, as a neurodivergent kid, loved to do, but I could never do it in the way that they, <laughs> that they wanted. And so for a while, it, 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 I feel like a lot of people are robbed of the joy of learning and knowing things and the people who do it and like to do it and help other people do it like you get called pretentious basically. And I, I I really hate that. (laughs) And I think I, I love the way that you present facts as being, you know, hot, fresh knowledge for your brain. It's fucking fun to know things. It's really fun to know things. And if I ever am lucky enough to talk to a, a smart, precocious kid, that's what I always try to tell them is like, remember that like knowing things is fun. That's why you should learn stuff because it's fun. You're going to be told a lot that, you know, you should learn it to get to college or learn it for other reasons. Like the, ultimately, it's just fun. It's fun to know stuff. It's like having toys in your brain. Yeah. I know that that's sort of how you approach knowledge and whatnot. Um, no, I think I, if I remember correctly, I hope I'm not wrong about this because this is going to be that, that would be a, a hard cut. Um but did you, you did you study music in you were you a composition major right Yeah I studied music composition in college That's um, yeah awesome. and then I realized I didn't want to be a composer and floated around aimlessly in life for a few months and then kind of discovered the whole TikTok thing and that was kind of a lifesaver so <laughs> What was really studying exciting. music composition like what was your primary instrument Um I came into it as a singer primarily I I played flute as a child. I played flute from the age of seven. Although, like, don't ask me to play flute now. I'm not very good anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, primarily a singer. And I played a lot of jazz flute. Cool. What uh, What were your inspirations? What kind of composer did you want to be? Were you, uh, were you big into Stravinsky or John Williams or something? I loved the early romantics. Cool. Like, nice. I mean, and part of the thing that I love about them is kind of hard to separate the the art from the artist in this case, because the artists were such interesting people. I love the like interpersonal drama of these early romantic composers who are like running around <laughs> getting up to wild adventures and proto canceling each other in 1840s Paris. But yeah, there's this whole cohort who were born within a span of like six years from each other. I, let me see if I can remember all of them. Mendelssohn, Schumann... Chopin, Liszt, Wagner, and Verdi um, are sort of like a, yeah, I would say a squad, I, but most of them hated each other. I know. Well, I, I think separating the art from the artist, the big, the big case study for me in terms of separating the art from the artist is Wagner. Because to me, Wagner, I mean, there are few greater artists who have ever lived than Wagner to me. I mean, you know, just to just to just lean hard into sounding pretentious. To me, he's sort of like the Picasso of of composition in that in that he could do everything that had been done before him exceptionally well, but then also something that only he could do. He invented a new sort of dramatic style of composition that at the time only he could do. That being said, he was an anti-Semitic piece of shit. <laughs> but 
I can't help the feelings that I feel when I listen to his music, when I listen to, you know, Tristan and I sold or whatever. Like I, it touches me and moves me in a way that I, I feel like to deny myself would, would, would be to do a serious crime to, in terms of the enrichment of my life. So whenever I think of separating art from the artist, it's like, well, yeah, I listen to Wagner. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. What a, what a chaotic, disastrous human being. I've yeah, actually, Jesus. I've written about, Wagner's anti-Semitism. I wrote a uh, term paper about that oh. aspect of his life when I was in college. So I've actually read the entirety of his dreadful, dreadful essay about like <sighs> Jewishness in music. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, one of my main takeaways was how is it possible for someone's like even putting aside the bigotry and let's not put aside the bigotry because that is the main problem like make no mistake but putting aside the bigotry like impressive how bad someone's prose can be and for them to still be a decent poet like, like what was that guy's <laughs> relationship to the german language that that was possible <laughs> well it also goes to show i mean again the massive issue of his bigotry aside which that's it doesn't that feel weird to say like let's put aside the obvious serious problem yeah like like in particular <laughs> let's not put aside the bigotry that's yeah exactly it's the main let's... problem no no ifs buts about it but um, it is interesting that i mean there are other problems even when you put aside the bigotry though is like i guess oh I'm, yeah what i'm saying <laughs> i mean it, there's no no um musical scholar could possibly um say that Wagner wasn't an immensely consequential composer what, yeah. for whatever reasons. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't Bach, but you know, he was an important composer and he was arguably a genius. It's weird that you can be a genius in one realm, but a, just an absolute fucking, because I mean, racism is just wrong. It's, it's, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. Like if you do the math of it, uh, hot take racism Absolutely is bad. Absolutely groundbreaking takes on this, <laughs> on this podcast here. But yeah, no. But I, but I mean to say it's it's illogical. Like if you if you're a smart person who sits and thinks about it, eventually you will arrive at the conclusion that it's fucking stupid that we're just humans. So it's weird that he could be a genius in one realm, but then just completely blind to his awfulness in other realms. Yeah. None of this is to excuse him in any way. But it is. It's just no, fascinating I to me. It's not an excuse, but it's it's a. It's an aspect of humanity to to puzzle and wrestle with the fact that not everyone who is not all evil comes from stupidity. I think it's for a long time I thought it did, and I'm as you know as I become a true fully formed adult as I learn more about the world, um, I realize that. It just doesn't. People can be smart and evil, and that's something we have to reckon with in humanity. I I find myself trying to explain this in my comments a lot because um, I made a video on my personal account. I have sort of a vloggy side account about how I get two kinds of weird, uncomfortable comments on my videos about evolutionary biology. I get comments, I get hate comments from creationists and occasionally I get supportive comments from eugenicists. Ooh. And I was explaining on my alternative account, you know, like, the creationists are the ones who think they're my enemy, but I would take them any day over, like, evil bigots who think I'm on their side. Like, that just is awful. And then I had a whole bunch of... Which, okay, that's a, that's a point of its own, I guess. But then when I made that video... 
I had a whole bunch of people saying, but obviously they're the same people. Obviously the people who don't understand evolution are the people who are racist and bigoted and anti-Semitic. And I had to be like, okay, yes, eugenicists don't understand evolution. They misunderstand some very, very fundamental aspects of like the biological reality of genetics and speciation and adaptation and uh, all that stuff. But they're not it's not that they don't believe in, or it's not that they don't think they believe in the same science that you do. They're just bad people. And I think there's a tendency to want to distance oneself from people who are, who believe evil things and who would do harm to others. You know, those people can't possibly understand the world the way that I do. Those people can't possibly be well read or understand this thing. So I'm going to lump evil people in with ignorant people and assume they are all the same because I can't deal with the fact that evil can come from the intellectual trends and movements that I also come from. Um, I've, had a, I've had a hard time explaining that. I think I attract sometimes a little bit of a facts don't care about your feelings audience. Um, and those people usually have uh, only a, a, a shaky grasp of what the facts are, <laughs> let alone feelings. Um, but uh, I'm kind of losing the plot in the point I'm trying to make. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> no, absolutely. I think I think it's it's scary. It's scary to believe that a person can understand the world in a way that's comparable to the way that, that we understand the world or that this hypothetical person that, that one understands the world and be evil and actively decide to do the evil thing. It's, 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 it's more comforting to believe that, oh, evil is only done because the evil person didn't know something or there's, there was something wrong with their brain. It's really scary to believe that you can be a rational person who understands the world reasonably well and still be fucking evil. It's it's a hard thing to contend with. Um, actually, I just talked to, to uh, Ben Silver, who's another TikToker. This is Ben Silver. Highly recommend. Oh yeah, um, I know Ben Silver. Yeah, he's great. He was yeah, he's going to be the first episode of Fangirl Friday, and then you're you're number two. Oh wonderful! Um, I look forward yeah. to it. Um, but we talked a little bit about um, how I'm going to try to connect two things <laughs> in in real time. Who knows if it'll work? Um, but how it's very alluring I, I wanted to say we tend to like generalizing all humans but i've only ever been one human and probably only ever will so my data set is not massive but it's very alluring to try to always fall into the no true scotsman fallacy of like oh well if that person did a thing they must be fundamentally different from me there's no possible way i a human and that evil person a human could be you know, have comparable working brains. There must be something fundamentally wrong with them. It's a scary thing to grapple with to believe, you know, that, oh, they are just like me in a, yeah. in a lot of ways, but they responded to it in some other way and why I'll likely never know. The nature of evil is, is elusive, I suppose. And not to mention, <laughs> I mean, I would I would hang out with a, with a you know, I don't want to say stupid, like a, a not so smart person, I guess, an, a, an ignorant person over a, a, an evil person every day of the week. Um, but I think especially now in America, um, the, the alliance between malice and stupidity or malice and ignorance, um, is quite strong and it's, it's hard to, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to distinguish between the two these days. Sometimes this um, kind of t 
ties back into what we were talking about earlier about the unearned privilege of a good education. Um, I think that maybe goes some of the way towards explaining why highly educated people can be bigoted. I think people with unearned privileges are inclined to protect their own interests and their own privileges. Um, you, and also you... people with like unearned societal privileges are more likely to have access to good education. I think that's one of the reasons why those things can sometimes, however uncomfortable it is, go hand in hand. Do you think that's perhaps because those who have those unearned privileges, in, in your words, unearned privileges, are on some level aware of how fragile it is, that they got it by chance, not through merit of their own, and perhaps they could lose it by chance as well? I think so. I think, well, I gotta think about that for a second. I mean, I think so. I don't know if that's the whole story, but I definitely think that's no, part I of it. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I was born with immense privilege. I mean, my parents weren't Bezos rich, but we were fine. We didn't have to worry about food and whatnot. Um, I always had a, a bed to sleep in and whatever. Um, and then in, um, I'm glad Katie's not here because she always laughs at me whenever I bring up the fact that um, I went to a, an arts boarding school for high school, like a private boarding school. Um, and that was, of course, an immense privilege and all that. Um, and I think I can see how I, I'm going to try to not put myself on a pedestal here, but I can I can see how a, a less lucid person, a less a less reflective person um, could be married to the idea that they have that because they're better than because they're different and that's just the way it is um because the idea that oh i got in there sure because i was a good enough musician to get in but also there were better musicians who didn't get in because their parents didn't have the money or they never heard of the place because of the information that they had access to i can see how that would be appealing or at least that that's less mental effort to just think oh well i'm just one of the worthy few or whatever the other than, than realizing oh a bunch of shit that was completely outside of my control went in my way you know it favored me and now i ended up being here and that's i mean especially me being a, a privileged dude it's 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 weird to grapple with well, there was yeah. a point in there somewhere i'm sure i probably should have ended with a question uh, i'm no, a professional okay. podcaster can you tell <laughs> you're doing wonderfully um, wow, this this conversation got really deep, really fast, talking about like the nature of evil and privilege. Here's a quick question, and I expect your answer to be in, all encompassing and definitive. Um, do okay, you, let's go. Do you think there is such a thing as an irredeemably bad person? Oh, um, gosh, it's almost four in the afternoon, and it's too early in the morning for this. <laughs> no. no, my answer to that question is no. Hmm. Um. But I think redemption is subjective. Hmm. I think I think it is possible to be irredeemable to some people in some places, in some contexts. I think there are privileges that it is appropriate for a person to lose permanently. Um, like... I don't know, the right to have a bow and arrow if you shot someone with it. <laughs> right. But um, I don't think that's the same as someone not having value or goodness in them ever again. I think, you know, like, 
I, I don't know if this is the answer to the question you asked or if this, this is just the answer to the question I think you asked, but I think, I think it's possible for people who have done very, very bad things to also go on to do good things. And the good things don't necessarily cancel out the bad things, but that doesn't mean they don't have merit in their own sphere. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think... What was this? I think... I think it's... I find it very interesting. Um, me being a guy that looks like this. I'm, I'm white, I'm cisgendered, I'm straight, to the extent of my knowledge. Um, I get the benefit of the doubt from white men. So I just drove cross country, for example, and uh, with Katie, and we went to all different sorts of places. Um, red states and all and all that stuff. And we found ourselves in restaurants and bars and, you know, with, with oyster shells and all that stuff. Um, and nobody was ever mean to us. Um, ever. Uh, we would be sitting at a bar and uh, this one guy whose name was... I think it actually was Earl. I know that's it sounds like I'm thinking of, but I think it actually was. We talked for a long time about whatever and about, um, you know, my truck had broken down. We talked about cars. Um, he, like, offered to, to buy us, like, a round, and it's all very, very friendly. Um, and towards the end of our conversation, we found out he is a Trump supporter. He doesn't support pretty much any type of immigration to the country. He's largely a white nationalist. And it was just uh... like, holy shit, like, that is... <laughs> my lord um and you know and at that point i had that whole crossroads of holy shit i have this guy's ear right now i wonder if i can do any good you know he's listening to me you know if i maybe i can get in there and try to steer him away from those awful ideas um but there were you know there were uh there were uh latinos in the room there were black people in the room and he was equally friendly to all, like I saw him sort of go around the room and interact with people. So it's very strange to me that he could be so kind to people who were in his immediate vicinity, but so cruel to people who were far away. And it made me, it makes me think that there's somewhere in there, there's like a switch. There's, it's like a proximity switch almost, where when somebody's close by, humanity, common humanity kicks in. But when they're in, when it's thought abstractly, that doesn't much apply. I, I saw an interesting take that, is not verifiable, but I thought I think it's interesting to think about um, that country people are always kind to people who are close, who are physically close to them, um, but often not kind to people who are physically far away from them. Whereas people in the city are often not kind to people who are close to them, but tend to be very kind to people who are far away. People in the abstract, um, you know, if you're driving down a country road, somebody's and you pull over on the side of the road, somebody's likely going to stop and offer you help. But that person will also fuck over a lot of people who are far away. They're going to tell them they don't deserve an education or food stamps or housing. Um, now, of course, that's not anything that can be verifiably proved. You know, I'm not saying that that, that opinion is correct. Um, but I think it's interesting because I, I think that proximity thing flips a switch in certain people. Is it a person in the abstract or is it a person standing right next to you? And I think a lot of the things that I think of as being evil when I, when I, you know, open the New York times in the morning or whatever and think, wow, that person's really fucking evil. It's very rare that it's evil towards somebody who's immediately close to them. It's usually some group of people far away. And I don't know how it's all. And I guess for me, there's a, there's sort of a frustrating hope 
that if we can get the people who vote against people's right to, you know, live in dignity and not starve to death or die of preventable diseases, if we could get those people to understand that those people that are far away that they're, you know, voting to take away the rights of are actually close to them or, or, or to treat them or to think of them in the same way that they think of people who are close to them, perhaps they would vote differently and there would be that much less suffering in the world. But I don't know how to, how, how to make that switch. Um, but perhaps I'm always very wary of, uh, I notice people, me included, um, tend to use the words I think and I hope interchangeably. People will often say, well, I think blah, 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 when they really mean I don't actually have the information necessary to believe this to be true or even a logic structure supporting the fact that I think this is true. What I really do is I hope this is true. And so I think it. <laughs> and I think in that realm, I don't know which one of those I am. So when in terms of do I think people are inherently or is there such a thing as irredeemable evil? I hope there is no such thing as irredeemable evil, but I don't know what I actually think. I certainly hope it strongly enough that I might as well think it, but I, I don't, I honestly don't know. I think about the um, problem of proximity and altruism all the time. I've been thinking about it certainly since the beginning of the pandemic, but to a to an extent my whole life um people have humans humanity has a tremendous capacity for altruism just for the sake of altruism this is actually why i have a platform on tiktok in the first place my first ever successful video was about fossil evidence of altruistic social behavior in neanderthals oh was it the healed femur by any chance? Yeah, it was about um, ah. it was about this guy Senator One. Well, this guy, this fossil <laughs> of a guy who was a Neanderthal, um, who was severely disabled but lived into relatively old age for his time, place, and species, and could only have lived that long because he was cared for. He was deaf. He was one of his arms was amputated. That TikTok art audio. His her arms were cut off. Her legs were cut off. <laughs> but no, he had all kinds of stuff that happened to him in some kind of horrific, gnarly accident in his early life, and then all of these injuries healed, and he he lived, and that is evidence that he was a valued member of his community, and that is a human thing, not just our not just our species, but the human genus and even beyond to to care for each other, even when we don't benefit materially, even when we lose materially. And yet people have such a hard time or many people, I know some people, some people are maybe just better than me, better than others. Um, many people <laughs> have such a hard time genuinely caring for people they can't relate to or people they've never seen or people who are far away. Um, I understand that it's important to care about people who are, you know, far-flung strangers. Um, understanding that it's important to care isn't the same as feeling feelings of, of caring. And that's, that's just for the people who do understand that it's important to care, and many people don't understand that it's important to care. Um... And uh, I'm sorry, this point once again is getting away from me. Oh, I think a always, lot about how it does to about, me every time. It's okay. 
people have this tremendous capacity for altruism that is like a fundamental part of how how we evolved. It's hardwired into our brains. We're I, I mean, I've said before, I don't think we are homo sapiens. I don't think sapiens is the thing that sets us apart from other creatures. I think we are homo collaborator or something akin to that. And and yet people have this problem empathizing and truly, truly caring and being motivated to help people who are far away, people they can't relate to. So how do you harness that drive to help people? Um, without causing tremendous, like, sectarian, nationalist, violent fighting and exclusion. Like, par part of me, I, I once went down this train of thought where I was like, okay, well, what if people could just leave each other alone? What if people could just only care for their neighbors? And then we would be, you know, harness this tremendous altruism and then other people could care for they, their neighbors and we could just not worry about each other. But that is literally the etymology of Nazi. It's like socialism for the, for the nation and not, mm. you know, we care for each other because we are, we are the same and we don't care for anyone. Like, Oh, that's really bad. I just remembered why that's one of the worst ideas anyone has ever had. <laughs> and you know, it's been around and around in my head. Like, well, so I, so what what does one do with this problem of human empathy and its its limits? Well, I don't know. I, I think I this is one of those. Oh God, stop qualifying, Eric. Just say it. Um, <laughs> it seems to have something to do with scale. Um, that we were, you know, we, we evolved to live in communities of a hundred or so hundreds or so. Um, and we eventually got very, very fucking good at it. Um, I'm not, I don't mean to say this, like you don't know these things. I'm <laughs> just, just for context. Um, we got very good at it to the point where now the entire world is interconnected and we understand humanity in such a way that I understand what I have in common with somebody who is as f physically far away from me as possible. Um, but that being said, all this is just to say, um, it seems like in order to get people to care about other people, you have to shrink the group of people that you're talking about. For example, you know, just the Germans, you know, Nazis for the nation or socialism for the nation and even or then, my they community or my family. Even then, they massively uh, reduced the definition of what a, what the nation was, what a German oh, exactly. was. Exactly. Um, there's another TikToker uh, who goes by Interstellar Isabella who talks about um, the history of European folk art and European fascism and talks about how um, German folk art was significantly whitewashed in the, in the literal sense and the racial sense when the Nazis came to power. They sort of like decided to pretend that all of this regional variation, all of this ethnic cultural variation within just German folk art didn't exist to pretend that this was a more homogenous culture than it really was. So yeah, when people, when people do these things, they end up <laughs> erasing their neighbors who are closer to them than they would like to think. Mm. Yeah. I think something that I tend to notice, um, between, I keep, I'm so, so trying to avoid the terms like good people and bad people. Cause that's so reductive, but something that I've noticed 
when it comes to somebody that I would think of, or just generally one would think of as being compassionate, um, something that they tend to exhibit, or I've noticed them exhibiting, is understanding that they don't understand something and having that still be okay. For example, it is very, uh, it is very rare that I genuinely feel, all the way down to my core, a kinship with every human on Earth. And I'm glad that it's rare because I would be overwhelmed all the time if I always did. But even in my darkest black, you know, sometimes when you're having a really dark day, especially if you have clinical depression, um, sometimes you can get pretty misanthropic. You can start thinking, oh, well, like the best way to reduce human suffering is to Thanos snap every human out of existence. Bam, no more human suffering. Um, but even yeah. in those darkest times when my immediate thought isn't altruistic, isn't a feeling of compassion and shared humanity with every human on Earth. I can still understand that even though right now I don't understand that I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I understand that I'm wrong, even though I can't grasp the logic right now because of in this, in this case, my particular neurodivergence. Um, I still understand that there it is correct to behave in an altruistic way and in a compassionate way. Um, like, uh, how do I how, I'm trying how do I'm trying to think of a, a way to bring up this example without revealing too much about somebody else? Um, uh, well, so let's just say a, a person is in a, a, a type of romantic relationship that this person's parents don't agree with, um, okay. don't or don't understand. Um, I well, th actually, I, 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 this this is an example I've seen many of. So I guess I can be pretty general here. Um, there are some parents who will, will seek to understand and succeed, and now they understand, and it's fine. Um, there are some parents who seek to understand and they don't or seemingly can't. And once that part is reached, where I, I don't understand why you would live your life like this or they don't understand that like being gay isn't a choice and all that, um, they can still, once, once they reach that point of lack of understanding, they can think, I don't understand, but that's okay. I don't have to. I just want my kid to be happy. Or I don't understand, therefore they're just fucking wrong. So I guess there's a very roundabout way of trying to make the point that being able to accept or understand that you might not understand, but there is still an appropriate way to behave and a correct way to behave in terms of altruism, I think is a big schism or is a big is a big line, I guess, between between these two groups of humans who behave compassionately to those far away and those who don't. Um, I think, you know, although I'm not always like I don't always apprehend the shared humanity that you and I and everybody else in the world has I still even in those moments when I understand that the very least I can still understand okay right now I don't understand but you know it's I should still behave compassionately that was a really roundabout way of, of speaking but I think accepting that sometimes you don't understand something and that's okay well for example like well, no, I'm just going to get myself in trouble if I keep trying to make the point in a bunch of different ways. Um. <laughs> yeah. I also, I want to clarify, like, before this comment conversation gets too far, like, when talking about, like, good and evil and good choices and bad choices, like, I, I don't want to, like, class myself out loud or in my head as a good person. I don't know if I'm a good person. I mean, we've been talking about very sensitive topics for almost an hour, and I'm sure I've sounded like a complete asshole some of the time. <laughs> um i'd like uh, to be a good person yeah and, and i also i you know I, I i've been trying not to use the terms good and bad person because 
if that means something, I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> yeah, and I don't that think that that's it's not in in one's DNA. And I think people do good things and do bad things. But but I guess I guess I think ultimately that's the point is that's what really matters is what you do is how you act. Like, you know, think of like an infinitely venerable person. Um, I don't know, Malala or something like that. Um, uh, or, or uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, if she was actually evil, let's just say like in her, you know, within her brain, if she was actually evil and everything that she does is for evil, selfish purposes, it wouldn't <laughs> fucking matter because she still is doing the things that help other people. And I think ultimately that's what matters, how we decide to be to behave. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> evil <Yeah>. Malala. <laughs> That's, uh, that's, that's that a strange a thing to say. thought experiment. Um, well, it's true. I mean, yeah. it's just, I, I don't know, throughout history, think of, I mean, nobody's infinitely venerable, but like, you know, the people who have done the, the, uh, vast amounts of good, you know, I, I don't care why they did it. I just care that they did. I mean, especially, I think, well, you as a TikToker, I think might understand this, but when I first like hit and I first had a video that did well, um, it's sort of like waking up one morning and there's like, 10,000 people standing outside your door just like waiting for you to say something else and it's like Jesus fucking Christ um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think as, as a person with a platform I, I constantly grapple with am I doing this for selfish reasons am I doing this because I like the attention am I doing this because I like the clout um, or am I doing it because I genuinely want to help people and all this stuff one I think it's a false dichotomy yeah, no I was going to say, like, the answer to most either-or questions is yes. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, but ultimately, even if I was doing this, everything that I've, uh, I'm have i doing, I regret using myself as the example because I'm about to compliment myself. But um, <laughs> even if I was doing everything for, like, the most selfish, non-altruistic reasons ever, I think I've still helped people, you know? And that's really what matters. Or my, my dad's an artist. And whenever he posts art on Facebook, he always gets mad at himself because he just, he loves the likes. He's addicted to the likes and that's why he Aww. does it. And I'm like, well, dad, it's not about you, my friend. <laughs> like the people who liked it, you're improving their lives by showing it to them, you know? So if you stopped posting your art because you think it's selfish, that's selfish. You're depriving those other people of, of value because you don't want to think of yourself as being selfish. Um, yeah. There's anyways, kind of all a that paradox is to say in there about like the selfishness of wanting not to be selfish that, you know, if you make only dis if if you make only decisions, if you only make decisions for the good of your conscience, um, that's an extremely selfish motive. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, I don't know. So I think, yeah, I definitely don't think there's a switch in somebody's head that makes them good or bad. But I do think how they respond to the mind that they're born with. And how they, I guess, how they translate whatever their brain is doing into how their body behaves. I think that's what what ultimately matters. Yeah. Now this is a this is a place for talking about. I'm sorry, you seem like you also have an interesting question. Oh, I was gonna totally, I was gonna totally digress. What what, what do you got? I was also gonna totally digress. Oh, sweet. Say, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I was gonna partly digress, I guess. So we can totally digress if you would prefer. Let's present both questions and then decide. Sure, you first. <laughs> um, this is a this is a podcast for talking about uh, neurodivergent issues, at least in part. Yes. Um, do you also 
get that thing where you're like, am I a bad person? Not just like, do I think, do people think I'm a bad person? But like, am I actually on the inside the villain in this story? Because I've heard, I, I feel that way a lot. And I, I have found that that's like a common paranoia among ADH autistic people. <laughs> um, I mean, well, to, to answer the immediate question, yes, I absolutely do that all the time, constantly. Um, but I don't know if that's a neurodivergent thing so much as it is a human thing or at least a lot of human thing. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if I would describe that to, uh, to neurodivergency, but I would describe it to somebody who is at least some ways lucid. I mean, being a person who has, who has ADHD, which um, uh, I do, <laughs> um, uh, it's, how do I say this? Um, it's, uh, I need the dopamine that comes from thinking about stuff. Um, so I'm thinking always a lot and very quickly, which I cannot say, I, I, I always, I need to say that I don't mean well necessarily. I just mean constantly and quickly. And for that reason, you know, I have to search every corner for stuff to think about. And one of those corners is, am I a good person or not? And that's an unanswerable question. And so that's always an option. You know, if I, if, if one has to be thinking all the time and quickly, then you're going to end up thinking about some weird shit. One of which is, am I actually evil? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, well, what do, for you? I buy that do you, do you do that? And do you feel that that's a neurodivergent thing? Um, gives me a mental image of like a slime mold finding its way through a maze. I don't know if you've ever seen those experiments, but it's sort of, you know, trying a little bit of every possible branching path. Hmm. Um, yeah, my trains of thought most definitely do that. And that's one of the ways that I end up in, in dark places in my trains of thought. I also, I think as someone who has struggled significantly to, uh, to, make friends and socialize and relate to people and understand people and feel understood. Um, may, I mean, maybe it comes from sort of a, an over analysis of human relationships and my place in, or sometimes lack of a place in human relationships. Like, Oh, a normal person would not have conducted that conversation that way, or would not have conducted that, that friendship, that interaction, that relationship, that way. Am I, like, I know sometimes people don't react favorably to me being a weirder flavor of human than they signed up for. But, uh, and sometimes I am able to write that off as, you know, well, they're just wrong. They just don't understand the, the wonderful diversity of human minds. And sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe I maybe I have genuinely hurt and wronged people by talking over them, forgetting about them, not understanding them, not being easy for them to understand. I think that is, that is a path that, that is a path that I go down an awful lot. And I think that does stem from neurodivergence. 
or hmm. I'm actually a bad person. <laughs> but like, 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 knock wood, right? <laughs> well, I, hmm. For one, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't know you very well at all. But I can say with reasonable certainty that you absolutely have genuinely hurt somebody else in your life. It is almost certain that you have. Um, but I, I, I often say that um, the way that I think of shame and guilt is shame. I, I think I meant, I meant I said that for a reason, but I wasn't just trying to like burst your bubble, be like, yeah, actually, you might be a terrible person. Um, but I just mean to say everybody has done terrible, has done things that have hurt other people in their lives. That's just what it is. And we have to deal with that as humans. Um, but the way that I think of shame and guilt and the way that I um, distinguish between those terms um, or the way that I distinguish those terms um, is I think shame is the belief that I am intrinsically and immutably bad. Um, whereas guilt is I have done something that is very bad. And I think very often and very insidiously, very subtly and, and, uh, and, and um, uh, well, it's very subtly, um, shame can serve as an excuse to not learn the lessons or take the action that guilt would have us take. Shame is an excuse to not learn the lessons of guilt. And so if I've done a bad thing, then there's feasibly something I could do to try to, re you know, redeem the bad thing or, or aid, help the person that I've harmed. Um, but if I just am a bad thing, then there's nothing to be done about that. I might as well just stay in bed. So, so I that's guess a, I, I suppose yeah, guilt is normative. Really shame point. is not. Yeah. And so, which is not to say that I think, you know, a person who wonders if they're a bad person is, is looking for a, the, the, you know, path of least resistance. Um, I think it's just, uh, you know, I, I think it's just part of the process of, of attempting to self-actualize. But I think self-actualization can often just be a mask of self-obsession, you know. Man, it's um, tough being human. It is. It really is. I, I also wanted to ask you, I mean, there are a number of questions that I think any one question I'd love to hear you talk for an hour about. But I had a, a lot of questions I wanted to ask you. Um, oh, thank you. Oh, Sorry, of course. No, I'll bother. I'll, I'll I'll bother you to come back on to ask you all of them at some point. Oh, hell yeah! I would love to come back. <laughs> Yay! Um, but one of them is, uh, I, it, I don't think that you would make the argument. You specifically, you. I don't think you would make the argument that humans are notably different than other animals. I mean, we have nah, Zoom and that's stuff. That's not what I believe. You don't believe that humans are notably different than other animals. No, I, I, I don't. Huh. Well, never mind. Well, well, well let me clarify. I just, I want to make sure if we're, we're, we're speaking one-to-one -one here. Um, yeah, I, that, I guess you got to clarify your terms a little bit. Yeah, yeah. By notably different, I simply mean, um, you know, if aliens were to come to this planet, they would go, Jesus Christ, what's up with the humans? You know, like there are other animals eating grass and leaves and living in the woods and stuff and us inventing, you know, what to us is high technology, what to them might be just more advanced versions of sticks and rocks. Um, but we are aesthetically at least very different than other animals. And by aesthetically, I mean, we surround ourselves with things that don't occur naturally in nature. I mean, everything naturally occurs because we naturally occurred and we made them. So we're, yeah, you know, it's my, my naturally computer occurring as an anthill. Yeah. Or a beaver dam. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, so I guess given that, I think, would you still say that you don't believe humans are fundamentally different in any way than other other animals? Um, 
I guess it comes down to what it means to be for for a, a trait to be fundamental, which is yeah easily answer I know. But okay, I'm pretty sure Homo sapiens evolved two hundred thousand years ago. Let me just I've got my computer. Let me just fact check that. Nice. And I do, I do I actually do want to recant. I don't I don't mean to say fundamentally different. I don't mean to say like, but there is something. But like different in a way that an extraterrestrial would notice. Would notice that if if an extra if an extraterrestrial scout came to check out Earth and then reported back to their planet, they'd be like, you know, there are millions and millions of species on the planet, but there's no way our name wouldn't come up in the first couple minutes, you know. Oh, sorry, that was my alarm to um, film a TikTok for the day. Love, love to have ADHD and be yeah. on an ADHD podcast. Um, okay, so according to Wikipedia, which is good enough for me for these purposes right now, um, sapiens evolved around 300,000 years ago. Organized civilization kind of started to fall together in dribs and drabs in tiny little pockets about 10,000 years ago. That is a huge huge margin and so if if aliens showed up now you know me the alien explorer naturalist <laughs> doing a study of this strange planet i would think wow this this one species has covered this planet they are engaging in all of these strange behaviors they are capable of tool use and art and language and all, all of these very sophisticated and weird and specific cultural behaviors. But if I showed up 200,000 years ago, like when Homo sapiens had been here for a while, but before organized civilization, would I know that we were different from, say, ravens or dolphins or another species that also engages in fairly sophisticated, organized social behavior? Maybe. I... I don't, I don't know. I think the, the things that we do now in human societies were perhaps like a less immediate, inevitable consequence of our humanness than we would like to think, because if they were, we would have started doing them sooner. So, hmm. yeah, I guess it depends like what wave of humanity you show up for. Hmm. I guess that's true yeah and i imagine i uh, hmm well i think the the advent of language um more particularly written language um i mean we, we obviously other commu animals communicate with each other but nowhere near the range of specificity that we've gotten to um so i'm wondering i i guess i guess my one question is hmm fuck i lost the plot damn it Huh, it happens to the best of us. All right, second question. I'm going to cut, interestingly, at some point <laughs> to make me sound like I didn't just totally lose my train of thought. Um, awesome. Go for it. Yay. Well, because I kind of want a lightning round through the, the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, second, I think I asked you this on a live one time, and you answered it then, but uh, it was a live, so now it's gone. Um, if you could go back in evolution, in evol in witness any five minutes in evolutionary time. So I don't necessarily mean like a historic event, 
but I mean like a prehistoric event, some evolutionary event or geological event or something like that. If you could witness any sort of five minute period, what would it be? I remember when you asked me this. So what I said at the time, wow, all roads lead to my fascination with social behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what I said at the time was I would love to see I'm I'm one of those people who believes that theropod dinosaurs, which are the dinosaurs more closely related to birds than to, like, Brontosaurus. Brontosaurus is a controversial, disputed taxon, but I'm trying to think of, like, the most widely known uh, sauropod. (laughs) Um, There's a Cadiosaurus downstairs. I can grab her uh, if you want. Sorry, I had to Yeah, they're not super closely related to her, I don't think. Although... (laughs) Ooh, I have a weird tangent to go down. Um, oh boy. Um, yeah, I know. What a what a what a spicy uh, thought to drop and then leave. Um, theropod dinosaurs were mostly bipedal. A lot of them were feathered. It was the group that contains modern birds, but also T. Rex, Allosaurus, Spinosaurus, Velociraptor, those things. There's a decent amount of evidence that they. Many, if not most of them, engaged in some kind of social behavior. They were possibly pack hunters. That's disputed, mostly just on the grounds that pack hunting is super rare. And, you know, if you're going to claim that an animal was engaging in a really rare behavior, you, you better have a lot of evidence to back it up because that's an extraordinary claim. But there is a decent amount of evidence that they engaged in social behaviors possibly even including pack hunting and even social altruism like caring for their disabled injured and sick um and i would love to see that in action if it really happened like i i I know i'm not a paleontologist i don't want to make claims for them but like on the assumption that that really happened i would love to see just like a bunch of allosauruses hanging out being buds like being a little little dino wolf pack i would love to witness that in action the humanity of dinosaurs that would be quite cool do you by any chance i'd I'd be impressed if you do do you by any chance remember that tangent oh yeah um (laughs) i was um i was gonna do lord knows how it made it through peer review um but this guy somewhat recently got an article published where he claimed that uh, humans evolved out of dinosaurs and didn't evolve out of um, African apes. This was a probably racially motivated theory, but with like filtered through a whole bunch of crazy. And um, I was going to write about it or write about it. I was going to talk about it on TikTok as like an example of, you know, this is the writing style that people who are into pseudoscience are into like watch out for these kinds of bold claims and these ki- like these kinds of framing but then i did more research into this guy and i was like no he is just severely mentally ill and i don't want to encourage people to mock him personally but yeah there was a guy claiming that um humans evolved out of dinosaurs huh i i, I want to read that I'm curious what the just, huh, just what 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 his proposed series of event like what? Oh, there's a lot going on. I mean, I'd love I, to see the skeletons that he imagines exists between us and say theropods or something like that. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. Um, 
He proposes the platypus as an example of a transitional species between uh, beaked hadrosaurs and modern mammals. Huh. Which is weird for a whole bunch of reasons. Like, for example, it's not the same kind of beak. Like, it. I, I think the platypus beak exists because it's a sensory organ. I, I might be misremembering, but I know they have the same kind of, like, electromagnetic sensors that sharks and uh, I think crocodiles have for, like, finding prey underwater. And I think that's mm. why they have a beak. It's not for, like, picking stuff up or crunching on stuff. So, like, completely different kind of beak evolved for a completely different reason. Also, they're my marsupial. <laughs> yeah. Also, Which are other not weird very things. closely related to other kinds of mammals, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. No, wait, shoot, they're not marsupials. I'm so sorry. They're monotremes. They're even less closely related to other kinds of mammals. But yeah, that oh. was a weird thing that I was reading about recently. Huh. All right, another question. Last question before before we got to go. Um, if you could play every instrument in the world masterfully. Ooh, or okay. speak every language in the world fluently and eloquently. Which would you pick? Assuming, you know, genie wish kind of thing. Ooh. Damn, that's such a tough question. Yeah, right? I, uh, I go back and forth pretty frequently. I feel like I fantasize about playing obscure instruments masterfully more than I fantasize about, like, conversing with people in languages I don't speak or like reading literature in languages I don't speak. So probably that is the one that I would enjoy more, but man, there's so much that has been written and said that would definitely make more sense in the original language. And I would love to know what that's like. Yeah. Probably the instruments just so I could learn, just so I could play a whole bunch of like obscure folk instruments. I would love to play like the hammer, hammered dulcimer and the nickel harpa and the banjo and all that stuff. Well, I'm putting you on the record, by the way. I'm just, uh, just so you know. <laughs> cool. I'm kidding. I will, I, I won't. <laughs> my my you goal ever is get to get that like, magic power. Let me know. Oh, I totally will. Um, I, my goal is to, to revive Leonard Bernstein and ask him the same question. <laughs> um, but anyways, Astrid, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And uh, I suspect uh, I'll be asking you to come back at some point to do this again, because oh, it's fun. Hell yeah, wonderful. So yeah, thank <laughs> you for having me. Of course, I'll talk to you later. Bye. And that's it. Thanks again to Astrid Lundberg for being on. It was a great time. And again, you can find links to all of their socials and whatnots at oddpride.com. Now, Katie, do you know what it's time to for? What what time is it for? I don't know. I wasn't even here this episode. You weren't even here in this whole you episode. Even, I, you didn't even <laughs> let me talk once. I know. It was so, it was almost <laughs> you were like just I sitting was next to us the whole time. three hours away in the car when you recorded that episode. It's almost like that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's the Patreon song time. It is. Katie. Oh, is it? Okay. And it is late in the day on a Thursday. It sure is. All I'm right. Tired. Let's go. shit it's socrates its name is socrates in the patreon and also charles and michael and juicy and mary and Eli. siri oh i thought we were gonna do this it's okay we, it's okay. fine we, we'll, bring, we'll bring it back we'll bring it back hey siri socrates thanks for 
Charles, Michael, and Charles, and Michael, and Juicy, and Mary, and Siri, I hear Geralt has been looking for you, that joke was for a couple Are people, named after the philosopher, no. or the less popular band, wait, Is there was me? a band, I didn't know there was a band, there was a band called Socrates, huh, that's pretty cool, Triple it, triple it, triple it, triple it, polyrhythms in the song. Tra la 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 la, Socrates. <laughs> Fuck off. Did somebody say triplets? I'd be very impressed if you could give me, give me, give me the triplets right here, right? Just do whatever you want. Well, no, all right, so I'm gonna give you a four, four. I'm just gonna call it okay, like this. Okay. And just, you were gonna do eighth notes triplets. So there'll be three beats for it. Ready? Okay. So one. Two, no, two past three, four. I'm not doing this. It's one, two, three, two, three. I don't know how to waltz, because I'm not Christoph Waltz. Fuck you. There's Fuck no you. way Christoph Waltz doesn't know how to waltz. I, do you think Christoph Waltz could waltz in a vault? Oh, god damn it. Yeah, I think he probably could. I'm also just realizing that Astrid he... is like a real-ass composer. Like yeah. full on, and uh, we're like uh, just uh, screaming names in the microphone. Christoph Waltz had a dance partner who also happened to be from a popular Netflix show. Would it be Christoph Waltz waltzing in a vault with Geralt? You know what, Katie? You're you're done for the day. Okay. Why don't you just take the rest Bye. of the day? You're doing great. You did great today. I'm my song. I'm leaving. Okay. Goodbye. Wow, she she actually left. And uh, anyways, thanks for being here. I'll never leave. Whoa, you. gosh. Oh, cheapers, creepers. Wow. Well, if you made it this far as the Patreon song, uh, <laughs> what you're, are you still doing? You're here? a real fan. I really appreciate this it. You're, you're great. Over here. Um, if you join our Patreon, we put your name in a song uh, at the end of uh, on Thursdays. We do. So that's cool. So thanks again to Socrates, Charles, Michael, Juicy, Mary, and Siri. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Patreon family. Uh, I guess we'll see you all next week, everybody. Don't forget to take your meds, uh, drink some water, eat a snack, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and remember that we love you. Good job. That was good. Thanks. Really nailed that one. Triple it.